Today we study 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Here Peter wrote directly to married women and to married men. And he wrote about what male leadership looks like in a Christian marriage. And he describes the relationship between a Christian woman and her husband. He describes it as blessed in a cursed world. He describes it as orderly and he describes it as beautiful in an ugly world. And we want to remember that he's writing into a context of intense pressure and difficulty. He's telling people how to respond during a time when they're going to be pressured and persecuted. J.B. Phillips famously paraphrased, be not conformed to this world in Romans 12.1 as, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You've heard that. In so many powerful ways, believers today are under pressure. We feel profoundly how the culture around us is rejecting the truth of the Bible. It's rejecting the truth of family and sexual relationships. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that our ideas are really more enlightened than God's ideas. The culture that we live in is moving so swiftly away from any regard for the law of God, the word of God, and the accountability to God. So often this is embedded in language that sounds clinical or pseudo-sophisticated. We do need to be humble and we do need to be thoughtful when we have made a mistake and sometimes we have made mistakes or when we've been insensitive and sometimes we are insensitive or always like to say, if I have a blind spot, I don't see it. But let God be true and every man a liar and the word, God's word, rightly understood is ultimate truth. It doesn't get any truer than that. The scriptures themselves say forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And so what we're going to talk about today is not something that only occurs one time in the Bible. It's frequently referenced in the Bible. It's not something that's the exclusive privilege of women, this matter of being subject to their husbands or, or submissive. It's all Christians are commanded to obey those in authority over them, to be submissive or to have a submissive spirit uh, or an obedient spirit to those who are in authority over them. That's the way God works. Now, I try to make it a habit never to apologize for God's Word, never to have an apologetic attitude about God's Word because it might seem counterintuitive or it might go against what the culture values. I always say this, don't apologize for God's Word. Repent for disobeying God's Word, but never apologize for God's Word. Have a deep and accurate and thorough and complete understanding of God's word. But don't, don't apologize for God's word because, I mean, after all, we're going to be face to face with him someday and we'll have to give an answer for our apology for his word. So here's something that I believe is true. I've seen it. I've heard it all my life. I'm confident. I've experienced it myself over and over again. And I read it right here in scripture. Hard times can be good times if we stick together and trust the Lord. That might sound really simple, but I think it, to married couples and, 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 and in application to all of us, I think that's what you see in this text today. The seven verses are primarily the, the first chunk is to women. The hard, hard, especially hard part is to men. It's to women, it's to men, it's to men and women together. And what it's really saying is you're going to face hard times. You need to stick together and you need to trust the Lord. 
And so as simple as that sounds, it's very profound, hard times can be good times when we stick together and trust the Lord, when hard times are good times. And so he initially addresses married women, then he addresses married men, and then he addresses them together. And that's how we're going to deal with this wonderful passage today. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful, pure conduct, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit which is in God's sight very precious. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. I, I see four things in this. And times are hard. You're especially hard if your man doesn't obey the word. This is a theme that Peter returns to frequently. He kind of looks at synonymous, an unbeliever, you know, a person who doesn't obey the word. A bad husband, you know, a person who doesn't obey the word. A worldly person, a person who doesn't obey the word. Get it? Obey the word. Here's a woman now who's being addressed by Peter. Her husband is not obedient to the word. So she lives in hard times and her home isn't what she would hope. And he's, and he's saying four things he says, still show respect and submission to him. Trust that God will work with him even when you don't agree. It's interesting. So I've been doing an informal survey among the Bethel couples this week. Good couples, happy marriages. I, I've actually talked to a lot of people this week. I've asked them this question. Do you believe, I, I'll say to the wife, do you believe that you are supposed to submit to your husband? And they will say, yes, I do. And then I will say, you know, something, I, I, the question was like, how often does your husband have to pull rank on you? Like, how often does he, to appeal, say, we, we talked it over, I'm assuming that it's, it's, there's, a, there's an understanding that men and women are equal before God, absolutely equal before God. And that there's no superiority, there's no, there's no greater intelligence with a man or woman necessarily, but that even as Jesus submitted to the Father, uh, there's, there's an order of submission in the world. So you would, in a, in a healthy relationship, my assumption like, would be that you would normally try to work things out together and come to a oneness of mind, come to an agreement. And everyone kind of agreed with that. And I, but every once in a great while, you might come to a point where you have to make a decision and you really don't agree. What, how often do you have to say, well, I guess we're going we're to do that. Of course, one way to do that would be the husband could defer to the wife and say, we don't agree, but so we're going to try it your way. And that way I can always throw this up to you, you know, when it doesn't work out. Uh, or, 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 or could say, we, we don't agree, so I'm going to have to make this decision because it has to be made. We have to do something. We don't agree, but I'm going to take this one on the chin. I'm going to go ahead and move forward with this and God helping me. But here's the, here's the interesting thing. I, I said that to so many of our couples. How often do you have to make that decision when, when you don't agree? And they would look at each other and they would go, well, not very often. Not, not very often. And I think that, that would be true with, uh, 
in any relationship where folks are under authority, a wise and godly authority wouldn't just lord it over somebody and be eager to pull rank, right? That's interesting. But yet the scriptures uh, here and in many places in the Bible say that she should show respect and submission to her husband. Second thing, she should be careful with what she says. The scriptures say in Proverbs, about the woman there in Proverbs, the law of kindness governs her tongue. This is incredibly important. We'll talk about this a little bit later. This this might be especially important. But notice it it says here, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And the likewise is referring to what went before it, which is servants, but especially it's servants in the context of how Jesus obeyed. So there's a long section from verse 21 to 25 that's just all about Jesus' submission. And, and, and then the likewise comes. And then a little bit later in verse 7, it says likewise and then addresses the husband. He says, Jesus, he said, ladies, you be like Jesus. Gentlemen, you be like Jesus. Servants, you be like Jesus. This is, what he, we'll, we'll talk more about that. She's especially careful, in this case, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. That's interesting. So a lady comes to me, Linda, on a Wednesday night, not here in this church, another church, and she says to me, I'm really concerned about my husband. She said, he has never been baptized, and it concerns me. I think he should be baptized. He should. He's a professing Christian, regular churchgoer, he's a Christian man, but he's never been baptized. Years have gone by since his uh, profession of faith in Christ, but he's never been baptized. It's like, that was the first command, repent and be baptized. Jesus says the first command, repent, believe, be baptized. If you're a Christian, you're baptized. That's New Testament, read the book of Acts, what happens? They believe, they repent, believe, and then what happens? They're, they're baptized. If you're not baptized, you can say, I'm a believer, but you can't really say you're a follower of Jesus if you didn't do the first thing he said. He's never baptized. And here's what I said to her. I said, well, don't say anything. Don't say a word based on this idea. I said, that'd be legitimate for a wife. And don't misunderstand, ladies. If you see your husband is about to make a bad decision, you're his helper. You should, helpers would tell a man if he's making a bad decision. Speak right up. It isn't, that's not wrong. In this case, however, Peter says, um, wives be subject to your husband so that even if they don't obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. In other words, their wife's conduct. A little bit later, we'll see her prayers are very, very influential. They're very powerful. And I said to this lady, Linda, I said, don't say a word, just pray. That was Wednesday night. I said, don't say anything, just pray. Pray that God will move on his heart. He's not a young man. Um, He's probably set in his ways. It's going to have to be his idea. Thursday, I'm in my study, and her husband comes to see me. I'm like, somebody didn't do what I said. He comes in, secretary says, so-and-so's here to see you. Will you see him? I'm like, yeah, sure. So he comes back, and he, you know what he says? He sits down on my rocker, and he goes, I need to be baptized. I'm like, yeah, amen. And God, I wanted to say it's about time, but I, I didn't say that. Yeah, well, good. And I said, what, what did Linda say to you? He goes, pardon me? I go, what'd you say? He said, what do you mean? I go, your wife, did she, she say something to you? He said, no. I go, 
She didn't? Like we were talking about this last night. I didn't tell him that. I'm like, that's odd. I go, what made you decide to be baptized today? He says, I was just driving down the road, down Telegraph Road, and, I, and it just came over me, I should get baptized. And I said, if the pastor's car's in a parking lot, I'm going to go in and talk to him and get baptized. And my car just happened to be in the parking lot because nobody was in the hospital that morning. And I got to baptize that man. It was a really graphic and wonderful illustration of this exact thing. She prayed, God moved, he obeyed the Lord and was baptized. Amen. Thank you. Um, be, so still shows respect and submission. Second, be careful with what you say. Make sure that the law of kindness governs your tongue. Ladies, I can't express that more, important, more uh, uh, seriously. That's so, it's so important. Have you ever felt guilty about something and you knew it? You kind of had this low-grade guilt or maybe it was even more than that and then somebody just says something to you just a little bit and it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like you, sometimes when, a, when God is already, when a man is not obedient to the word in some area of his life and God's already kind of like talking to him, you don't often have to say very much. And maybe you've noticed a reaction. This is interesting in the scripture to say that. Then the third thing, be careful with what you do. He's, he suggests that she's pure and trusting in God. Verse two, when they see your respectful pure conduct. Pastorally, here's something I've found helpful when I talk to people. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear the submission word because we freight it a lot of times with sinful, submission to a sinful, hateful, harmful person. This is not what we're talking about. But, but it's often how we associate that. Like this man is selfish and sinful and wicked and he just wants somebody to wait on his every uh, desire, which is, can often be true. Uh, so it's helpful pastorally to me to talk to people about this, about the people that are in authority over them, their boss, or it could be the elders of the church, it could be your husband, or, or it could be a police officer that you may or may not agree with his politics or his morals, but yet he has authority because he's an officer of the law. And that is often helpful to think about it like, are you respectful toward them? And this is a powerful thing. Do you show respect and this is exactly what he says here. Purity and respect are, are together. And the fourth thing is, is beautiful. Concentrate on the beauty that God prizes over your appearance. The Bible doesn't forbid attendance to personal, personal appearance. The Bible doesn't forbid this. Don't misunderstand this. The, the, the scriptures consistently teach about the emphasis being the inner person, right? So scriptures aren't saying you should never comb your hair. Or you should never, you know, wear makeup. Or you should never look handsome or pretty or, or pick out an outfit that the colors coordinate. Um, but, but you and I both know when the Spirit is telling us that our emphasis is on something that's temporary or empty or outward, beauty can be temporary. Beauty is temporary. And beauty can be empty. It can mean not that much. Beauty can be deceptive. Uh, a person can look very handsome and very beautiful and not have corresponding character. That's a comfort to those of us who aren't handsome. Um, but uh, uh, we can always work on our character. Right? Now, I'm never going to be handsome, but I could be a good guy. That's a thought. Um, 
concentrate on the beauty that God prizes. Notice what it says here. Don't let your adorning, verse 3, be external or merely external. Braiding of the hair, putting on of gold jewelry or clothing you wear. Let your adorning be the hidden. This is just beautiful. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. This is a word Peter loves. Imperishable beauty of a gentle, quiet spirit. It doesn't say gentle, quiet temperament. Some godly women are outgoing. Some godly women are verbal. Thank the Lord for that. It's a gift. It's a wonderful gift. It's talking about their spirit, like a tranquil lake. Uh, this, is in, this is in the context of trusting God. This woman that has this imperishable beauty is a person whose spirit is trusting in God. And their spirit is calm as a tranquil, like, I will trust God with this husband who's not obeying the word right now. And I will not be afraid. I will trust God. I'll put my trust in God. Hard times can be good times if we stick together and trust God. In this case, she's concentrating on her imperishable beauty of a, of a uh, quiet spirit, a gentle, quiet spirit. And this is something, if God says in his word, this is something that's very precious in God's sight, it's something that we should care about a lot. If you're a young woman, I know, you know, we put a premium on beauty and sexual attractiveness in our culture. It's the way we sell things. It turns heads. It gets all of our attention. That's true. And, and shame on us that we don't have a greater appetite for a person of depth, of character, and trusting in God. And so young, young, you're a, a young lady or lady of any age, you, you might be tempted to spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort on, on your physical appearance. Think about this passage. God says what he values highly, what's in, in perishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight, very precious. So that's something to think about. It would seem that if you concentrate on something that's very precious to God, that would be wise. And an encouragement, because standards of beauty rise and fall. They come and go. They're different. A woman with godly character, with pure conduct, with quiet trust in God is actually very powerful, very influential. A woman with, who's physically attractive without these things, who's nagging, who's contentious, uh, who makes people want to flee to the corner of the housetop, who, who, who feels like a leaky faucet. These are biblical pictures. That's, that's a not attractive thing. And the scriptures warn about that. I once heard a lady who was wrestling with this. It's hard for all of us to be under submission to authority. And I once heard a lady who was wrestling with that. She said, she, we went to her home and she and her husband were there and she didn't realize what was happening, but we were there at her home and, and, she, was, and she was sincere and she was t telling us about a devotional that she gave to the ladies group. And the devotional was on how you could trust God to be under your husband's authority and that God would work through your husband's authority. So she was talking about that. Her husband was kind of quiet. He was sitting over on the couch and he was reading, <laughs> he was reading the Sunday paper. And he was really interested in the RV show that was downtown. And so when she would take a breath, every once in a while he would say, there's going to be an RV show downtown this weekend. And he'd just say, there's an RV show this weekend downtown. And then she would say, uh-huh. And like his, let's say his name was Jim. That wasn't his name. 
okay, Jim. And then she would say, but anyway, what I was saying to the ladies was if they're under their husband's authority and God's going to work for them. And then Jim says, yeah, that RV show's only this weekend. <laughs> She's, uh-huh. And, and the third time he mentioned it, she says, Jim, I already told you, we are not going to the RV show. <laughs> I looked over at Lois, we were really young. I looked over at Lois like, and I realized this is a good Christian lady, and she really meant well. I'm sure she meant what she was teaching. It just comes a little hard. And so that's why Peter says, hey, things are bad outside. Here's how you can have a beautiful relationship. Trust God. Have a gentle and quiet spirit. Develop this trust that God is going to work through this man, even if he doesn't obey the word. So that's interesting, isn't it? And then he gives a, a Bible example. There are actually two Bible examples here. One is not as evident, but it's very important. The, you see it in verses 5 and 6. Bible example. This is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And Sarah, it's like, Sarah, oh my word. You remember that story? Oh, that's a shocking thing. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord or having, using a title of respect for him. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Sarah would have had reason to be afraid for the situation that she was placed into, if you remember the story there. I heard a Christian leader say one time that the Bible gives us a situation analogous to any situation that we will go through, but usually it's in the extreme. And I would say this is an example of that. Sarah's example is extreme. And he appeals to this example. She was respectful, believing that God would work through this guy, and God did work through him, Abraham. He did work through him. But it would have been a test of your faith. The other example, he said women, so there were more than one. He's referring to other women. But the other example is keyed on the word likewise that occurs two times in this passage. And, and we should never lose sight that he's referring to our Savior Jesus. Let's read it, verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. It sounds all romantic and sweet to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, but he's talking about footsteps that led to the cross. He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. He didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed. Your spirit, your soul is healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and bishop overseers of your soul. Jesus is the example here. So, he, so Peter is saying, ladies, things are all unglued outside. There's chaos and they hate God. And even your husband's going to fail sometimes. But you believe that I, be respectful to him and believe that I will work through him. That's how I work. And you develop the inner beauty of a quiet, respectful spirit. And trust me, this is what he's saying. Sarah did that. Jesus did that. What if God will work in your husband's life? So women, stick together. Trust the Lord. Stick together with your husband and trust the Lord. Now, men, it's short, but it's very powerful. What does he say? Likewise, again, likewise, he's referring to the servants and to the servants' obedience because of Jesus' obedience. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Okay, so we'll talk about this next week. Let's, let's go home now. Just kidding, right? Just kidding. No, of course, we're looking forward to talking about this. And men, understand and honor your wife. Understand and honor your wife. Those two things. Understanding. I don't think you can understand somebody without listening to them. I think it implies you listen real carefully and you observe. You understand. You make a lifelong study of your wife. You, you understand her. I, I believe this, and I was taught this. I, I believe that God will give your wife wisdom that can save you from destruction or that can make you successful, but that you will overlook it if you don't honor her and value her opinion. I think that's just the way God works. It doesn't mean that she's always right. In the Bible, you frequently had women that were wrong and their husbands shouldn't have listened to that piece. But then there are also times when their, husband, their wife was warning them and they, and they should have listened you should always hear and try to understand. And this is what Peter says. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So I think we shouldn't go beyond the live with. I think God intends for us to dwell with, live with our wives, not allow creeping separateness to drive us apart and have separate lives. There are times of separation, obviously. There should be the eager uh, coming together. And then with understanding, um, and then he says, honor, you attach uh, high value and communicate high value. So do you, do you get what's going on here? It's not just like, look, woman, here's what we do. That attitude would not be the attitude of any godly leader. Any godly elder shouldn't behave like that. Godly governors shouldn't behave like that. The idea is I am just a human being. But God has given me the responsibility to give you leadership to help you follow the Lord and help you obey the Lord. And I take this so seriously that it makes me tremble. It makes me pray. It humbles me. And I'm very, very careful at what I say. And I'm responsible to God for what I'm doing. So I'm not just trying to, get, to use my authority to get my way. That's not what he's talking about here. He said, dwell with her, dwell with her, dwell with her in an understanding way and showing honor or high value and communicating high value. And it doesn't say understand her and communicate high value as long as she's well-behaved. It doesn't say show her high value and understand her if it's easy to understand her. It doesn't say any of those uh, things. It just, without qualification, it just says live with her in an understanding way and show her honor, good man, will make a lifelong study of those he loves, especially his wife, to understand them. An example is what lies they're believing, uh, what is it they love, what is it that they fear, what is it that they feel guilty about. So a good leader would make a study of those that are under his protection so that he would understand what lies, what, how, what is Satan saying to lie to them right now? Listen to them. What are they afraid of? What do they need? What do they want? What do they like? Do they, you can tell a person, what is the tongue is the dipstick of the heart. You can tell a lot about a person just by listening to what they want to talk about. And if you're like I am, do you have this um, tendency to have something you want to talk about, and then the other person has something that they want to talk about, and then you feel kind of like trying to get them on your program to listen to what you want to talk about? Does anybody else have that problem? 
uh, that's funny. You're just going to look at me like, no, no, no problem. And then I have to cut, or after my mom's, oh, she wants to talk about that. She wants to talk about antiques today. She wants to talk about the voice. I don't want to talk about the voice. The voice doesn't interest me. Football interests me. I want to talk to her about football. But she's not interested in football unless her team is beating my team. So then you have to remember, wait a minute, I got to stop right now and ask a follow-up question about antiques or the voice um, or something that they care about. Uh, you, you go, wow, I'm way past you on this. Okay, well, buy me coffee and teach me what you know. I, I'm, I'm still learning. Isn't this beautiful? Are you tracking with this? It's simple. I love what Peter said here. Look, they're going to pressure you. You're going to be under pressure. You're going to be under persecution. You guys, hard times are coming. You better stick together. Ladies, you better trust that God's going to work for your husband. Men, you better be good to her, and you better honor her, and you better understand her, because hard times are coming. You need to stick together. Together, trust me. And if you do that, I will answer your prayers. That's what it says. This is not something you want to mess with, because you're going to need your prayers answered. That's the third thing. Both stick together and trust the Lord. Keep right with each other. Pray for the same thing. At the deepest and most vital level, agree together and pray. You want unhindered prayers. I wonder in the church how much we have forfeited because we have, our prayers are hindered because of relational breakdown, because of selfishness. Hard times can be good times if we stick together and if we trust the Lord. Let's go through this little list. Number one, there's the power or the influence of her speech. You know, the absence of nagging or harangue. I was preaching once and thought I was doing a pretty good job. I was passionate in my message. Guy came to me afterward, and on the way out, he just looks at me and he goes, I just felt like I was a child, and you were just haranguing me. And he just walked out. I was like, oh, wow. So I called him on the phone. I said, hey, can, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever want to see him again, actually. But, but I called him on the phone, and, and I said, hey, I'll buy you breakfast, and you can explain what you were telling me on the way out. So when he got there at Tim Hortons, we sat down, and he had this little card, and it had a meter on it, like with color. Down here it was blue, and up here it was red. And he called it, and he had a little brad on it and a little dial, and he called it his harangue meter. He goes, dude, you were way up here in the red Sunday, up here in the red. Like, dial it back a little bit. I can't listen to you for 45 minutes just haranguing. You were, like, way up in the red. And I was just laughing, like, oh, my word. And he gave, I go, can I keep this? He goes, yeah. And so oh, this is a really happy story because I met with him many times over a number of years. And, and I feel like I was able to back out of the red. And, and I also feel like, and he was definitely able to grow in the Lord. Uh, but I remember the harangue meter, and Peter's kind of saying, ladies, I know the temptation is going to be to get up there in the red and go, when are you going to get this figured out? You're not obeying the word. Just don't, don't do that. And, and gentlemen, don't be so, you know, immersed in your own world, world that you can't listen carefully and make a study of her. You should understand her better than anybody understands her. But there is that power of our speech. And then the second thing, there's the power of conduct, says that to the woman her conduct. There's the power of her purity or the influence of her purity. There's the influence of her gentle spirit. We're just going back down through the passage. You see what I'm doing? And then there's the, the power of his understanding. Imagine you got the whole big, wide, godless, ugly world out there. It's in chaos. But, then, but inside you have the power of 
her speech, when she, when she chooses to speak and when she chooses not to speak, and the power of her conduct, and the power of her purity, and the power of her gentle spirit, the influence of that, and you have the influence of his understanding, and you have, number six, the influence of his honor, and then you have the power of an inheritance. Look what it says there in verse seven. Likewise, likewise, uh, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I think that just means, generally speaking, women are physically weaker. Generally speaking. I know there are women here who could spike on me right now. I know that. I'm just saying this uh, generality. A vessel, since they're heirs with you of the grace of life, the gifts of life come to husbands and wives together, heirs together, or heirs with you of the grace of life. When you pray and you ask God for things, so you have the power of speech, the power of of silence, the the power of conduct, the power of purity, the power of a gentle spirit, the power of his understanding, the power of his honor, the power of their inheritance, the gifts that God will give them, and the power of their united prayers. All this when together we stand together and we show love and understanding and respect and honor for each other. This is what happens. People can be married for decades often, and they can together, they can face a a really ugly world in a really beautiful way when these things are true about them. This is super hopeful. What would happen if we would repent and fast and pray? Ladies, do you need to repent and obey God in this? Can I just say that with gentleness? Your children will need to be under authority to succeed in what they do. Will you give them an example of what it looks like to trust an imperfect authority? They should, they should know what that looks like. So maybe, ladies, some of you need to say, God, forgive me. And maybe you need to humbly ask your husband's forgiveness. That would require trust in the Lord, wouldn't it? Gentlemen, do you need to repent of not showing honor and understanding? This is what real manhood looks like. Not how much you can bench press or what living things you can kill and mount on your wall even though that's good, clean fun, I'm sure. This is what real leadership looks like. You understand, you understand that woman, and you show her honor, and you communicate that honor, and your kids see that you have studied to understand her and that you show her honor. Who is, what would, what, what would be like if all across our church, men and women just on their own would say, okay, I repent, I I confess my failure in this, and I'll make that right, and I'll start over again with the help of the Holy Spirit. What would happen then? I was thinking about this yesterday. I was at a wedding, and I was, that always makes me really thoughtful. And I was just thinking about some things I need to pray about, some things that I wonder if God would do that need to happen. And maybe I should fast and pray and ask God for that. Maybe there's something you should fast and pray and ask God for. Maybe there's something you should confess. God can do anything. He cherishes your words like a perfect father. He wants to give you good gifts. He listens to your prayers. He knows your heart's desire. He says, you don't want to live in such a way that your prayers would be hindered. There's stuff I want to do for you. There's stuff I want to do with you. There's stuff I want to do in you. There's stuff I want to do in your kids' lives. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, Paul said in Ephesians. My son Daniel always said he wanted to be a missionary pilot, but I had no idea how he could be a missionary pilot because it's so expensive to be a missionary pilot, to get the training, and I didn't have that money. He just went working, and he went to Bible college and studied to be a pastor, and 
got that training, and then he had some debt, so he went to the Southwest to work off his debt, and he got involved in gas and oil transmission, and he did really well in that, and then decided he wanted to be a police officer, and he's doing well in that. Feels like that's got, he was asked to be a pastor, he, he just felt like what God wanted to do was to be a police officer. He had a guy riding with him, auxiliary or something, a couple weeks ago. I forget what it's called, maybe I used the wrong term, but he had a guy riding with him, and they got to talking, he was a believer. He was also a flight instructor. And he listened to Daniel's testimony. He said to him, Daniel, I'd like to train you to be a pilot. I'm not going to charge you anything. Daniel's logged, I think, 15 hours of instruction already. Because God can answer the prayers of a person in ways that we would never expect. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We want to get under God's direction. We want to eagerly run and get like, God, wherever I can be, where you're going to bless, where so that your prayers won't be hindered. At this wedding yesterday, years ago, there was this guy who was a, that I heard about. He's a preacher in Michigan, and he was just being powerful used to the Lord. And I thought, well, I want to meet this guy. A friend of mine gave me these tapes and said, you got to hear this guy. He was a state trooper, and now he just goes around preaching, and, and, and God uses this guy. His name is Tom Harmon. I'm like, i got to meet this guy. And so I met Tom Harmon. I thought, my goodness, what a wonderful guy. And I loved to hear him preach. I would see the influence he had on men. And, I, and, it, and that was years ago. And, I, and he started talking about a thing called Summit on Preaching. And when he started talking about it, it stirred my heart. I thought, I would love to be involved in that with him. I would love somehow to get next to him and kind of be involved with this guy, Tom Harmon, to be around this guy. This is kind of people person I want to be around. And so I just had this secret desire, like, I just want to be around this guy. Somehow do something together. And then God sent me to run that big hotel, and he had a thing called the Summit on Preaching. He was doing it in churches. And I invited him to do it in the hotel and went from 200 to 600 people because we could put up the wives and feed them, feed everybody. He brought the Summit on Preaching to the Character Inn, and for, I think, two or three years we did it there. It was over 600 people came to it. And then I got to know Tom really well, and we were close. We speak at some of the same places. Sometimes if he gets invited somewhere and he can't do it, he'll call me, and I'll go speak where he was invited to speak. Guess what happened yesterday? This is kind of cool. Yesterday, my nephew married his granddaughter. Isn't that kind of cool? Lois said, you're tickled about that. I said, yeah, I really am. That's just, God does stuff like that. I got to sit there and, and watch my nephew marry his oldest granddaughter. And he came up to me and gave me a hug. He says, good to see you, Ken. Like way a long time ago, I thought, man, I'd like to get next to that guy. We're, re we're, we're, we're related now. We're people. Me and Tom, two guys. That's just a little thing, isn't it? What is it that God put on your heart that you would love, that's good and honorable, that he put on your heart? And you just don't want those prayers to be hindered, do you? You want to be able to say to God, God, whatever you want to do in my life, it's more beautiful, more wonderful than anything I could ever imagine. I'm going to trust you for whatever that is. I'm going to make sure I live with my wife in an understanding, an honorable way. I don't want my prayers. I'm going to, wait. I'm going to make sure I trust my husband and I'm respectful to him because I don't want my prayers to be hindered because who knows what God has in mind. Stand up. I want to bless you.